This is the Dice of Brussels. The idea of this episode was going to be that myself and David were going to look back at party conference season and discuss all the, the Brexit stuff that had happened uh, at the various meetings of the political parties. But as you can tell from the way I've phrased that, that's not really what we're going to do this time. For the simple fact that of all the issues on the agenda, from the Conservatives, from Labour, from uh, the SNP, uh, even the DUP, there wasn't actually a whole lot of discussion about Brexit at all. So what we want to do instead is just consider why that might be and what it might tell us about the state of the issue, because clearly what it doesn't tell us is that everything is fine and sorted on the Brexit front, but rather that something else is going on, or possibly a couple of other things. So let's just run through those uh, particular conferences and just consider what, if anything, took place. Perhaps the, the starting point, I think, here was the uh, party conference for the Conservatives that uh, really, as one commentator uh, has remarked, looked more like a party that had just lost an election rather than one that's gearing up for an election. Very much the focus of the uh, activity was on the fringe rather than in the main hall. And there was no uh, repeat of the kind of Johnson era bombast about uh, the Northern Ireland Protocol, or even very much been made of things like the Windsor Framework that was concluded back at the beginning of this year. Instead, what we had was uh, an attempt by different factions of the party to try and set the agenda to make the run it typified uh, most obviously by Liz Trust coming to make a, a rousing uh, speech to try and regain her position uh, ahead of what she presumably assumes is a, a leadership contest uh, after the general election. So in practice we saw almost nothing made of Brexit or the possibilities of Brexit as an opportunity or anything to do with Northern Ireland. It just simply wasn't mattered. And again, I think this also reflects the Sunak approach, which is to present himself as a change candidate. You know, here's the man who's going to deal with all the problems that the country's facing at the moment, ignoring or sidestepping the uh, inconvenient fact that it's been his party that's been in charge during that period. So all of the ideas about HS2, about controlling smoking, about changing policy in kind of radical kind of ways, clearly points to him not wanting to go back to the landmark event in public policy terms of uh, the last decade, namely Brexit. So for him, there's a clear interest in not dwelling on the past, or indeed as it is the present, uh, but instead thinking about the future and how he will uh, you know, do something great for the country. By contrast, if we look at the Labour uh, conference, there we had very much a vibe of a party finding itself potentially on the verge of power, but trying not to get ahead of itself. 
So the message from uh, the party leadership was very much one of caution, of trying to demonstrate that it was a responsible power uh, and a responsible party, uh, and that if it's given the opportunity, it will do sensible things. And so in line with that, and in line with what the Labour Party have been talking about for the last uh, uh, period of time, Brexit and European policy is very much being downplayed. So even David Lammy, who historically has been the kind of uh, cheerleader for doing more with uh, the EU, was really very quiet about that, that even though he uh, spoke about wanting to make Europe more important in foreign policy, he wasn't talking about major reopening of uh, negotiations or trying to do anything that would uh, stray from the situation that we have at the moment with the trade and cooperation agreements and the uh, withdrawal agreements and its associated protocol for Northern Ireland. Instead, this is about making the existing arrangements work, about finding common ground, about rebuilding trust, about demonstrating the value of the UK in the world. And really just trying to steady uh, the boats uh, ahead of uh, any uh, incoming election. Clearly one of Labour's concerns is about the uh, likelihood of the Conservative Party laying uh, down a, a line in its campaigning of Labour just being willing and keen to overturn uh, the results of the referendum, to go back to a closer relationship, to get back in the pocket of Brussels, all of these kinds of things. So any hint or sense that that might be the case, even if it's not really the case, and it's clearly not, is being pushed well away by uh, Labour. Which leaves us then with this kind of gap in public policy terms that uh, relations with the EU are still not really that settled. I know, again, we might return back to this question of car batteries that David and I discussed a few months ago. Listen back to our, our back catalogue uh, on wherever you find your podcasts. But uh, we've got a, a continuing number of issues uh, where there are common interests and common are problems that the EU and the UK are facing. So there'll need to be a European policy, but the shape of that policy at the moment seems from each of the two main parties to be one of letting it lie and not disturbing issues any more than they absolutely have to be. So instead taking a more kind of reactive kind of approach. What's interesting, though, is that even outside of the big two, we have a similar drawing away from talking about Brexit as an issue. The Lib Dems back in late September, if you can remember that far back, uh, nearly a month ago, uh, were talking uh, much more about rebuilding their local campaigning strategy which has served them very well in by-elections and which is going to be a key part of building up their tactical votes profile in the general election. So whilst they still have a, a very pro-EU policy, that has been backgrounded uh, by the party leadership, that 
Europe is not the issue that is getting voters out, and so they don't have any interest in really being known as primarily that kind of party. Similarly, uh, the other uh, national parties, uh, people like the Greens, uh, for example, have uh, not talked about this issue uh, at any great length. That instead, uh, it's the environment that returns really to be front and centre if it actually really went away. And even Reform UK didn't really dwell so much on the question of European relations per se, but more on questions like illegal immigration and trying to find other ways of protecting UK borders, which would allow them then to make an argument about uh, their relevance in all of this. This was always going to be reforms uh, challenge as they uh, moved away from being the Brexit party. That once you had Brexit, and once people thought that Brexit had been done, to use Johnson's phrase, there wasn't really a clear rationale for what that party might do. And so the reformulation into being reform uh, speaks to uh, an attempt to try and set a, a new package of measures that would kind of cast a new Britain in the context of having left the EU. But as we've seen, that's not really uh, caught the public attention in quite the same way, precisely because it is broader, more diffuse, because it's not just about what we don't want, but about what we do want. The tail end of all of this was the uh, SNP's conference, uh, which came this week. And here again, I think we had a rolling of Brexit back into the question of Scottish independence. That Brexit was used repeatedly as a marker of the failure of London-made policy to serve Scottish interests. And still this uh, intention that as and when Scottish independence is secured, that then that would come with a, a move to reacquire membership of the EU. But the SNP uh, is facing a whole load of other challenges, a potential uh, challenge to its representation in Westminster, which in turn makes it harder to uh, push on its core platform of independence. And so that move that they made to say take uh, a simple uh, majority of seats, Scottish seats, which have been returned to SNP as a mandate for trying to pursue uh, another uh, independence referendum is a reflection of more modest uh, aims at a time when the leadership has been through uh, some fairly uh, substantial traumas and challenges and where public support potentially is weaker. So putting all this together, what we see is a collection of parties that for different reasons don't want to get into the Brexit issue. That particularly at a time when you're thinking about trying to mobilise voters, Brexit isn't the issue it used to be. So in 2017, in 2019, you could make Brexit uh, a big part of the campaign, although much more in the case of 2019 and 2017, that you could say, here's something which is obviously really important and which matters to the future of the country, and we need you to turn out to vote for us to get the kind of Brexit that you want and that you voted for in the referendum. 
or alternatively, that kind of Brexit that you were denied in the referendum because you were on the losing side. That message is gone now. The, the salience uh, of the European issue has fallen. It's back down to sort of historic levels where maybe only 10% of the population think that it's one of the most important issues facing the country. And so uh, we instead have much more interest, understandably, in questions like cost of living, high inflation, economic performance, the state of the health service, the state of education, the state of welfare, the bread and butter issues that keep on coming up in national electoral campaigns. So Europe clearly touches on all those things and clearly the relationship we have with the EU matters in shaping a number of those kinds of factors, whether that's in terms of economic uh, dynamics or in terms of access to uh, labourers to come in to do uh, particular jobs uh, at little or no notice um, with minimal paperwork. So it, it's there in the background but using that as the frame, the hook to get people to come and vote for you is not going to work. Instead you have to demonstrate how you have answers for those big issues and questions around the economy, around uh, public provision around the environment, things that are likely to get people out on the streets. Now, uh, as I say that, I'm very much aware that we still do have people out on the streets campaigning for different European policies, and particularly pro-Europeans who want a closer uh, policy have been uh, successful in maintaining uh, a popular uh, profile uh, as they've uh, gone through this extended period. What they failed to do though is turn that into uh, an effective lobby on political parties. And partly that reflects the vagaries of first past the post and the dominance of the centre-left and centre-right parties in the system. But also it reflects the failure to leverage uh, the failings of British European policy over the past seven years into more widespread uh, action. So as much as uh, we see clear majorities of people thinking that Brexit has not been handled well, that uh, if you had a referendum today people would vote to uh, remain rather than to leave, uh, that's not the same as saying that people find it particularly important. Route one to improving the economy or to improving public services is not going to be a long negotiation with the EU about rejoining the single market or the customs union, let alone uh, re-accession as a member. So we find ourselves then at the end of this party season with a gap a gap that's unlikely to be filled this side of a general election, whether that's uh, early next year, late next year, maybe even into very early 2025. Parties don't have an incentive in pushing this issue. Publics, in the absence of any strong impetus from 
political leaders don't see uh, any great reason to be that bothered about it it's not you know at the tip of everybody's tongues and uh, the media is very much where it was that you know the lines have been drawn and in terms of what's going to sell papers uh, getting angry and annoyed about the EU is very much a minority sport whatever your preferences and politics might be so it suggests that in the next year a year and a half we're likely to see not very much happening on the British side and when you put that together with an EU that is uh, also uh, very much distracted by other issues then uh, you're not likely to see big movements uh, under the rest of this government just to flip it around uh, the other thing that's happened during this period has been that we've had the uh, election of uh, the opposition parties into power in the Polish elections uh, this weekend. So led by Donald Tusk, uh, the uh, potential coalition of parties that would come to power represents a major change for one of the largest EU member states. That Law and Justice, which has been in power for an extended period, has had that uh, stranglehold broken uh, on the powers, uh, on the levers of power. And potentially that means some important consequences for the EU. It means that one of the major challenges to the whole operation of rule of law is now uh, seemingly uh, steering back towards liberal democratic norms and the uh, requirements of membership, which is very good. It weakens the standing of people like Viktor Orban, in uh, Hungary, uh, notwithstanding the election of Robert Fico's uh, coalition in Slovakia, uh, who is equally uh, dubious about uh, the West uh, and its uh, intentions uh, towards uh, the domestic priorities of the state, if we can euphemize it like that. So Donald Tusk, as you will remember from very much earlier episodes of this podcast, used to be European Council President, uh, was very influential in the Brexit negotiations, uh, and you know, is somebody who, uh, in some quarters here in the UK, was represented as being uh, potentially uh, important in changing European policy towards the. UK. But that uh, is, I think, for the birds at this stage. Poland has uh, a lot of other uh, priorities, not least the war on its doorstep in Ukraine, uh, the need to rebuild relations, the fact that still uh, law and justice, uh, even if it doesn't hold power in uh, the Polish Parliament, still has embedded itself very widely across a number of institutions so there's going to be a lot of domestic reform that uh, Tusk's coalition will have to uh, uh, pursue as a priority and indeed it has to get into power in and agree that coalition in the first place which is still yet to be done and might take uh, some extended period of time. Once it's done that it needs to look at its relations with the EU and how that works 
And then maybe at the end of that very long and substantial list, might it think about questions like what the relationship is with the UK. And even then, Poland's, large as it is, is only one of 27 member states. So EU policy is what it is, which is to say this isn't the most important thing that faces us at the moment. We still need to know that the UK has returned to the fold of good faith international relations after the whole uh, tensions uh, and problems over the Northern Ireland Protocol. And it's only going to be at that point that I think you'll see more pressure from uh, member states uh, to start to think about whether there needs to be a review and expansion of relations, but that is going to be a slow and progressive uh, process. So British politics in that sense is very much not like EU politics. British politics over the last few years as we have seen, we're still only a year out from Liz Truss's uh, time in power, or in number 10 at least. The rapid and massive shifts that can happen in the British system and that we've seen simply don't happen in the EU at the EU level they can happen within individual member states but notwithstanding the fact that we've got a set of European Parliament elections coming uh, next spring that we will then have a new commission and a whole new uh, a set of senior figures across the institutions. Substantively, policy is going to be what it is now, which is going to be cautious and long-term and incremental. So, as much as we have a gap here on the British side, we have a bit of a gap on the EU side as well. So, that means that whilst we'll have more time to get into some little nitty-gritty technical issues, the bigger questions are of the relationship are likely to be ones which we will have to think about again next summer when we know a bit more about these kinds of things. And on that cheery note, I will stop there and talk to you next time.